Hello and welcome to Movies and Tea. I'm your host, always Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, the one and only Miss Kimelo. Hello. Tonight, our look, our season-long look at the Art of the Creature feature continues as we reach 1980 and with Alligator. Um, here we see the creature feature really becoming the art form as it hits a real peak around this era with uh, the studios all want to still wanting to cash in on the Jaws trend, but here and now they're really sort of managing to hone in on what makes the creature feature formula so special, as in find scary beast, put in area with plenty plenty of uh, food sources, and find strapping hero to dispatch of said beast. Alligator, um, as it released in nineteen eighty, most noteworthy for starring uh, Robert Forster an actor who I've become weirdly obsessed with since his passing. Um, I know a lot of you kids probably know him out there as being in the Breaking Bad finale. Uh, but um, he was, we've covered him, we talked about him previously when we talked about Jackie Brown. But Kim, I mean, obviously opening thoughts on this one. I mean, obviously Alligator is one of my personal highlights of this season. So I was very interested to see uh, what you made of this one. Because this one, as I said, it's... It's a full-blown creature feature. It sort of fits more into the mode than the films we've seen previously, like the birds and them, and even like Kingdom of the Spiders. It's uh, got a lot more sort of rhythm to it. But what did you make of Alligator? Well, I mean, Alligator right away is, you know, we had the discussion last week where I was talking about how the previous stuff is more everyday creatures. Well, not, you know, if you lived in the desert, then tarantulas are. But, like, not for me, obviously. But, <laughs> I mean... But, I mean, it's, it's just the fact that alligators has a reputation of being more dangerous. So, right away, the creature feature here fits more into kind of, like, what you would expect from, say, you know, shark films. The type of feeling of threat. And then you have this kind of story where alligator is about, you know, a oversized alligator. <laughs> so, that kind of has its own um, threat as well. Uh, I mean, I thought it was really, I thought it was pretty fun. Um, there were some, you know, like, it's still the same things, I think, that that has issues where, you know, you have this, it's, it's, the, it's the time it was made, I guess, so you have this, you know, kind of misogynistic type of character, uh, well, side character, I guess. Which I had messaged you about when I when I was watching it, <laughs> and then there was, uh, and then you know you have you have this like kind of disposable romance, whatever side plot that you want to call it. But I mean, those things aside, I think um, the the film does a really good job. At least there's a lot more action going on here. There's like some literal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like alligator attack starts right away, basically. And, oh yeah, waste no yeah, time and, at all. Just it, in this one. Yeah, it starts like right off the bat. You have one, and then, and then basically you you have kind of an idea of where this alligator is coming from right from the start, and and and, and basically you you kind of see what happens afterwards. Yeah. Um, well, the film, as you can point out already, um, we open in 68 with a little girl purchasing a baby alligator from a tourist trap while her family's on vacation in Florida. After they return home to Chicago, 
The girl, little girl's father has one of a uh, drunken rant and promptly flushes the alligator, who the girl would name Ramon, um, and it ends up in the city sewers. Now, 12 years later, the alligator has somehow survived, de- feeding on discarded pet carcasses which have been injected with growth hormone from the local lab who are doing um, various experiments, and it's now grown to enormous size of 36 foot, monster that's now preying on anyone who's stupid enough to lurk in the sewers and it's down to Robert Forster's beat cop uh, David Madison who is himself working through some issues he's got a reputation as a partner killer after his uh, partner died in a botch hotel heist um, at the same time he's got a lot of uh, where he's very world weary. He's got concerned about his hair loss, and uh, he's teamed up with a female reptile expert called Marissa, here played by Robin Riker, who uh, with a pair trying to convince the authorities that there is something lurking in the sewers, and more importantly, find a way to stop the giant beast before it goes and consumes everyone in Chicago. The film itself is directed by Lewis Teague who's another graduate of the Roger Corman film school school of filmmaking um he earned his sort of in stripes really he did editing for Cockfighter he was a second unit director and assistant editor on Death Race 2000 he did editing for Crazy Mama and he also did the Avalanche sequence for Avalanche um and it was here that he really sort of learned the like many people who work for Corman the idea of how to really work every nickel in your budget because Corman's school of filmmaking was basically you get a bunch of kids hungry to make films out of film school give them a small ass budget and a script and send them on their way and it's here that we got the likes of Joe Dante we got Martin Scorsese we got James Cameron it sort of goes on and on all these like luminaries who just got their break for Roger Corman's um, New World Pictures and Teague's first film he was also through New World Pictures Lady Red in 79 with this being his second and I have to say that this is probably a, a much stronger picture and it's one that I actually for whatever reason I ranked really lowly when I was looking at my Lurbot score but for this time around I really actually enjoyed the hell out of this one so maybe the first time I went in with super high expectations for this film and um, second time around I just sort of had my expectation I knew what I was sort of getting into and certainly was excited to see Robert Forrester doing his thing again so but as a you know with the actual sort of like uh, how the film sort of plays out I mean how did you find the pacing of this film Kim? Because we, I mean, obviously, when we looked at Kingdom of Spiders, we had that problem where the first hour was just tedious, and then it got good in the last half hour. But um, how did you find the pacing for this one? I think the face, the pacing was pretty decent. I mean, when you think about this one, it, it like I said before, basically you get your alligator attack right away, so you already know about the <laughs> the lethalness <laughs> of the creature itself, yeah. um, the unpredictable nature of it, right? Um, but when you fast forward it, you kind of have this, like, we already know that it's an alligator because we see all these attacks that are going on. But the, the audience knowing more than what, than, than the, than the police or the investigators in this one kind of plays really well in the, in the movie itself. So I, I think because of that, the, 
the pacing works well enough because now you have them trying to deduce what's going on and all these things that, that you know, the conversations that they're having and you have a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of, I guess, disbelief and stuff like that, which usually happens in these films when you start. Um, the impossibility of, I don't know, a giant beast, even though they've <laughs> seen it with their own eyes, everything. <laughs> it is. It's, it follows a lot of those, um, that lot of framework set up by Jaws, really. I mean, obviously, we look at Chef Brody and Jaws. He's the local town cop who's trying to convince everyone there's a giant shark and then the authorities don't want to know. And here we see the same with uh, Forrester's David, who's the co- trying to convince everyone there's a, a giant uh, crocodile, ro- well, a giant alligator, should I say. Um, lurking in the sewers and of course nobody wants to know until it's completely too late and it's out on the street um, you throw into this we've got some real interest in casting I mean his boss is here played by uh, Michael Gazzo who you probably remember from um, The Godfather Part 2 with his weird raspy accent which makes it really bad because he seems to have like a set pitch that he can reach and there's a number of scenes where he's expected to shout and it just seems really Seems he can't quite get it up there. <laughs> um, we also get the most random ass character in this with the uh, biggest big game hunter, Colonel Brock, played by Henry Silver, who has to be like one of the most random like directing choices ever. Just this random big game hunter wandering around the city and treating it like he's on a big game hunt as he hooks up with a bunch of youths. Um, and treats them like the like local tribe or something. That, that that character was really really annoying. Like right off the bat, he was a pain, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, he was just like a misogynistic, attention seeking. You know, <laughs> like you just like I don't know. You just don't really want to back this guy. And usually, characters when they show up like this in any type of creature feature, it they have you know that they're not going to make it out. <laughs> It's just a matter of time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> because they're, they're, you know, they're like, they, they seem to know it all. They're the experts. But obviously, you know, the seat, the usually these type of experts who are way over the top and, you know, try to do this for fame and whatnot, is, it, it never ends up in a good way. We also have, um, there's some, some decent side plots here. I mean, we obviously have the... Uh, local tycoon who's been funding all these legal growth experiments at the lab and wants to cover up everything that's going on. We've got the obnoxious reporter who's basically spends a lot of time harassing David um, and especially constantly keeps picking on him for the fact that he's, his previous partner got killed in that botched hotel heist. And um, again, we have this uh, the necessary romance between uh, David and Marissa, which is just kind of weird. I don't know what you made of, made of it. It was not as weird as last week's one where we obviously had Shatner getting it on with his brother's ex-wife, but this one's got some... I don't know if he was just, like, really sure of himself or was just uh, just got a really unique pickup technique. <laughs> I, I swear, like, these things happen out of nowhere. I, they always pass me. Like, I didn't even know when it happened, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, we're going on a date, but... Am I gonna, you know, get some action tonight, type of thing? And I'm just like, what is this conversation? What, what is this? What is going on? And I'm like, when did this happen? Did I miss it? Like, did I fall asleep for I don't know five minutes? 
It is. It just seemingly comes out of left field, and then the fact is, sort of like, it's all like, yeah. Well, what's the point of us going out somewhere to come back here? We might as well do things now. Um, I mean, for instance, the fact that Forrester basically hates wearing a shirt, like for a good portion of this movie. So, in the same way that Elliot Gould Gould can like light a match off any surface in the long goodbye, Forrester just seems to take any occasion to take his shirt off in this movie. He just seems to seems to like grab it with both hands. <laughs> um, which you know is good. I mean, he's got the he's got that eighties sort of like tough guy build rather than the chiseled physique that we have now with the action heroes. It's sort of like you know working man fit, which is a little more attainable than uh, you know what Jason Statham's got going on. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> okay, well we'll just move on from that. Um, no, no, no. I'll, I'll say something. I, did... I was thinking about something before. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of 80s fitness again <laughs> it's like do you prefer your men a little more rugged or do you prefer like as i said the more modern look when it comes to your action types i don't know i mean i think it really depends on on the charisma of the character more than anything um or like the actor himself I yeah don't, i don't really have like you know it's not like i sit around looking at you know oh hey you know arnold schwarzenegger is so hot you know like i don't think that i think he's like you know, I think it's a little when you're built to a certain size, it gets a little scary. Like mm. it feels unnatural. It's the thing, really, when you look at like those Stallone and Schwarzenegger pictures from like the eighties, and they're with these like dainty model types, and it's like it just feels really weird watching them with like normal women <laughs> uh, because they're like so built, built, built up, and you have these tiny women that they're always women. It's sort of like this just seems really weird <laughs> for some reason, and he was like, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, like, you know, like, I'm fine with, like, I think when you think about what looks more natural, like, yeah, Jason Statham, and and even if you look at, like, Vin Diesel and stuff like that, yeah, but they look fine. I mean, even, I think maybe The Rock is, you know, obviously The Rock comes from a wrestling background, so he's yeah. a, he's definitely bigger, but he still looks normal enough, you know, but... When you talk about other, you know, there, when you like, I do, I do think that when you do films like this, you do need to have more of a rugged type of feeling. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not like James Bond, you know, you don't come out of a fight and then you look like nothing happened to you. It's <laughs> so. it's just weird. Like now when you watch like anything, like you'll watch like, um, like a drama series and you have like the lawyer type, but it'd be completely ripped. And it's sort of what I like about the 70s and 80s because people weren't just ripped then. They were just sort of like, just, uh, you know, maybe lift a little weight. Just, uh, they they look like they can hold themselves in a fight, but they're not, as I said, not uh, working the glamour muscles, as we say. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> now, obviously, when a key point to any good creature feature is obviously the gore quota. And I think for myself, this one certainly delivers. We get a lot of bitten off limbs which is always cool and we also get um, a bit of childhood trauma as a child is thrown into a swimming pool which the alligators lurking in <laughs> which I have to say is still really shocking <laughs> um, what do you, how did, did you uh, your feelings on the gore in this one did it deliver for yourself or I think it did I think for you know obviously this is an 80s film so a lot of the aging of it is not too great yeah but I think overall there is there is a sufficient amount of it because there is a lot of people who get the the body count is pretty high. Let's put it that way. It does, so, especially you know, when surprisingly, we... surprisingly, a lot of people are going into this sewer. 
And <laughs> that's very weird because I don't really think that many people go into a sewer on a normal day. But apparently that's what happens. <laughs> it seems to be where you just go to, like, discard of things that you don't want to, like, throw in the trash like a normal person. Like, he's, we've got the uh, pet shop owner who's got, like, this sidelining kidnapping dogs with the lab. And he's, like, disposing of all these, like, um, test corpses down in the sewer, which was just insane. And this obviously has led to this giant crocodile. Alligator, even. God, i got to stop saying that because there's a world of difference between the two. Don't ask me what it is, but I just know there is a difference between the two. Size is one of them. <laughs> Thank you. So, want to take a gamble on anything else that's different? Think no, I think, I, think it's, um, I think it's also the, the water that they live in. Okay. I think one of them, isn't it? One of them fresh water and one of them is uh, is salt water or something? I don't know. I'm not I'm not super well versed in crocodile versus alligator. I had read about it once, but I don't remember it. So. Also, apparently you can use an alligator as a speed bump, as we find out in a riveting boat chase sequence, which I have to say that for like a group of police officers, they were real gung-ho. They were like a bunch of gung-ho rednecks. It's all like, oh, we found the alligator. It's just like, let's hurl around this river at like full speed um, with enough artillery to, you know, to try, supposedly get the job done. And yet we have this wonderful sequence where the speedboat hits the alligator and like gets launched into the air before being blown up, which I just thought was good. Um, but the real sort of highlight of this one is the when the alligator gate crashes a wedding party um which these uh not only like some incredible massacres we get to see people launch through the air including a guy into a wedding cake we also get to see the crocodile the alligator just they go absolutely apeshit on a car for no apparent reason i don't know what that car did to the alligator but he was he was pissed <laughs> maybe he had a sixth sense that the person inside the car was the reason why he was so big <laughs> Oh yeah, damn you for making me so big. <laughs> All the chemicals you put inside of me. Exactly. It, it was it was really the movie trying to be like this is karma, you know, basically. Yeah. It is um it is a real sort of standout sequence. I go back and forth like whether that or like the swim pool sequence is my favorite moment of the film, but it's funny as well the fact that this uh, tycoon's such a such an asshole that he locks um, his sort of cohort outside of the car. And this crocodile's like, you know, it's like half the... It's on the other side of the uh, lawn, and yet somehow it magically sneaks up on this guy. You could have walked faster than this thing moves. <laughs> like, he, he, the, he's literally trying to get in the car. It's all like, you could have walked out the gate and not, like, had anything to do with it. You didn't even have to run. It's so busy, like, attacking, like, rich society types and that, so... Yeah, basically, like, that sequence was a little bit, like, illogical in the sense that I get that you couldn't, like, the, the, the tycoon locked you out, locked the mayor out, basically. Yeah. But at least he could have left, you know, like, a bunch of people were running anyways to leave. So, it didn't, it felt unnecessary. If anything, you could have even, like, crawled on top of the car and then jumped off or something when, when the alligator would, you know, inevitably start breaking the car oh yeah that's a good that's a good plan I mean, it's kind of like you know it's one of those 
key things that um would sort of be introduced as the genre evolved itself that you know you have to have the massacre sequence um which then leads us into this sort of big final showdown sequence and with Jaws, I mean, obviously you've got the attack on the pond um, in like, and we see it again in like Piranha 3D where we got like the big massacre sequence there, which then leads us into that big call to arms uh, sequence. So it's, I, I mean, I would, the film as a whole, I think is, it was a really fun romp. I think it's certainly one of the highlights of the season we've had so far. I mean, I don't know about yourself, Kim. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, like we we're working through decades right and it's so far most of our films i think have been pretty similar except for i would say birds birds is more like because it's hitchcock yeah. you know you have that building which is more on wasn't so much on horror as it was on kind of like a sinister suspense type of thing so it had a little bit more of kind of like a a brewing type of tension i guess where the other two was more the the plots were fairly similar, um, except you know the creatures were different. But alligator is, is is an entirely different beast because your beast itself is is bigger now. I mean, not to you know crap on giant ants, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> giant ants in what the fifties or something was. <laughs> it 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 aged even worse than this one. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> but I mean like alligator has you know it, it helps the fact that there aren't a ton of alligator slash crocodile films that are available even till today um it might be just my problem because I'm not super well versed in in any other creature features than you know shark films are my thing no I'd I don't say watch you... a lot of other creature features so, I'd say you're right. I mean, there's the crocodile for some reason, and the, and the alligators as well. They're very underutilized. I mean, obviously you've got um, the crocodile that they feed all the bodies to and eat and alive. Um, we had a couple of like TV movies. Like, I mean, you got the TV movie follow up to this one, um, Alligator Two: The Mutation, which is just awful. Um, released in like ninety one as the TV movie. You had another couple of TV movies. Um, I think both called Crocodile, which were Again, awful. Yeah. I think we have to. It's not until we get Rogue and like Black Water that you know these movies start getting good, and then more recently Crawl, um, yeah. which so, we'll be looking at later in the season. Yeah, season. but when it came yeah. to shark movies, they just they just churn those out. Well, yeah, I mean, shark movies is kind of like a natural predator, I guess. Like everybody can kind of relate to it. Yeah, and it has you know obviously nowadays we we. There's so much research in saying how, you know, how sharks are not really as much of a predator as, 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 you know, we, these movies make them out to be. But at the same time, it's the same thing for any creature feature, right? I, I think that, you know, if you don't bother nature, nature's gonna, not gonna come and bother you, basically. So it's kind of like, you know, if you walk into a tropical rainforest and everything in there wants to kill you, and you walk in and something kills you. It's not really like they're dangerous. They're just being... Territorial. Yeah. <laughs> you walk on someone's turf. What do you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you jump into water with shark in it in Australia, well, the possibility of getting eaten by a shark is high, right? So what can you say? You can't, you can't really be, you know, hating on it. Uh, so so that, that's the main thing, I think, like... 
I, I don't know. I mean, you know, going back to this film, I, I really do think that alligators and crocodiles, you know, I, I really would be down to watch more of them because there is a lot of potential here for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, even when you look at movies like what was Lake Placid, I mean, That's Lake true. Placid was Lake Placid was decent also. I mean, it was just there there were little issues with it, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but I, I, you know, and I don't really remember a lot of Lake Placid. I watched it a few years back, but I, you know, it's the same. I think that, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just, I haven't seen some, uh, a creature feature with alligators other than crawl that I think is very memorable in that sense that I think, I don't know what I'm looking for <laughs> type of thing. Like maybe it's just because it's one thing. Maybe it's because of the age of the film that yeah. watching it now, it kind of loses a bit of the appeal. And, and it also doesn't help that I think that when you watch alligator, there are a lot of parallels to jaws um, that you kind of feel like people are really banking on this jaws type of thing. And and I don't know. I mean, I've been contemplating a lot on these uh, creature features and that sort of thing. Um, especially, I don't know. I know you watched it also. It was after the the documentary Voir, and you know their their episode about you know creature features and you kind of like being able to pick up what made Jaws Jaws, you know, and how people are banking on you know the wrong thing basically. And sometimes, you know, like when I evaluate movies now, I kind of, it's, it's it, you know, you, you kind of think back to the movies that's been done, especially creature features. And you think about, you know, what's the difference between what made Jaws a success and you know, other than Steven Spielberg? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Steven Spielberg obviously has this, has it brings that sort of, you know, Spielberg magic to proceedings. But I think what made Jaws so successful is that it was also about people. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, the giant shark. And I think in those the different elements that got, went into Jaws. I mean, obviously we have like, you know, Brody and we in the relationship with his wife and the the town. It all feels so real. We also have like the sharks attacks, which are really good. And we've got the John uh, Williams score, which is just, you know, the shark has its own theme. So we do, yeah. it's just, it constantly teases it out. And then we get into like the third half and it like suddenly becomes like the adventure movie and we're on Quinn's boat and we're going hunting the shark. So it's... um. I think with this one, it comes to the real sort of closest to replicating that formula. I mean, obviously, when you look at the format here, I mean, the fact we get so much sort of like dedicated to Robert Forrester's um, yeah. character and the fact that he has all these sort of like qualms. I mean, we said already, I mean, he's got concerns about the fact he's losing his hair, that he's still haunted by like the loss of his partner and the fact that he manages to lose another partner rather quickly in this when he has his first encounter with the alligator in the sewers and it uh, eats a, a young cop. Yeah, I, and I think that that's the main thing is that when we look at alligator, it, it works in the sense that while, you know, I mean, we, we laugh at the whole romantic angle being sudden, the characters here are individually, they do have their weight and they also kind of link things together. So, you know, not only does Madison have backstory, you know, his character has has a little bit more like a loss and, and character building here, uh, which kind of guides his character a little bit more. We also have Marissa, who who we get to realize you know it's not you know super deep to figure out or anything but 
it's it's her baby alligator that was flushed down the toilet, which turns out to be this massive alligator that is now you know I, I don't think she realizes it, but because she she believes that you know the that that it died and that it was flushed down the toilet, but at the same time you know like that's that's a connection that you have as to how the alligator got into the sewers. So even like how it got there is 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 drawn is the kind of set out for you at the same time and behind all this you know you also have this you know like the evil corporation the pharmaceutical company trying to do things that are bad and you know the the government which is which is you know being trying to hide the secrets of the you know that sort of thing and and you have all this sort of stuff that's brewing in the background which which kind of, you know, builds these characters. And even if they're short-lived um, and the body count is there, they kind of, a lot of people who had died, other than, you know, like, the civilians, a lot of people that were attacked actually actually were pretty bad people. Except for, obviously, like I said, other than, like, you know, the alligator crashing the wedding and then eating a maid and then, and then like, hanging in a pool and then getting a child, you know, like... Those things were sad. They were kind of traumatic to watch. Yeah. But but other than that, like there there was a lot of people like the the characters that were flowing through the the the, the main plot itself that really kind of deserved the end that they had. And you know, you, I think I think even one thing that was really fun was that they used this random sequence of this guy that's trying to bomb the police station. And and, and it's just like you end up using that segment and that that element there to be something that's used at the end. And I think that that's kind of really smart also in terms of just like clever story writing in that sense where you're using the little bits that you're putting in as kind of a foreshadowing to the ending. And there's, there, you know, at least the thought was there. The film would also uh, have, a, have an actual game to go with it. So you could play the tabletop game. <laughs> Um, where you spin the spinner and feed the gator, it'll be stuffed sooner or later. Feed it a t- tiny too much food, it's your snapshot in a furious mood, and then you're out. You lose. Too bad. It's fun to make a gator mad. Avoid being the one to make the alligator snap his jaws by carefully choosing whether to feed it more food or try and take food from its open mouth. Currently rated <laughs> six point naught on Board Game Geek. No, it's kind of weird, right? Because I don't know if you ever seen those. I don't know if it's it's. Uh, I I see it in like Chinese variety shows. I don't know if it's a thing that exists here. Okay. Because I don't walk in like toy sections anymore. <laughs> but, um, but like there's like these little alligator games, like these crocodile or alligator games, and what you do is you, you press the teeth down. Oh in yeah, order. crocodile dentist. Yeah, yeah and awesome. then and then like it would snap shut on you, right? Isn't that like kind of a, a, a easier version of the board game? Uh, seems this one seems more like Buckaroo, as in it's got yeah. the uh, the mouth and you like put the things the things into it, and it's obviously weighted a uh, weighted spring. Mm. Um, I can never beat Buckaroo. Um, <laughs> I I enjoyed it, but as I said, it's just uh, it's just one of those games I I was never sure like the trick to mastering Buckaroo, so. But uh, no, there's a number of like these films that uh, have board games inspired by them, and it's kind of amusing when you see some of the ones which actually got uh, film film versions. Jaws got one as well. 
You can, if you go on eBay, you can find yourself a copy of the Alligator tabletop game as well. So, so yeah, that was Alligator from 1980. As I said, it would be followed by the TV movie in 1991, Alligator 2, The Mutation, which was just awful um, and basically just had the same plot as the first one, despite none of the characters returning. And an Albino Crocodile. So if that does anything for you and you want to see it shot on horrible film stock, just uh, go to hunt that one down. Um, as a director, though, Lewis Teague would go on to contribute further to the creature feature genre as he would go on to direct Cujo, which um, I have to say stands up really well. It changes the ending of the book, but it's still really, really good. Um, and he would also work on Cat's Eye as well, which is another Stephen King adaptation, as well as the sequel to Jewel of the Nile with Romance on the Stone in 84. Mm. Um, and then from there he went on to direct Navy Seals which is probably the most popular film to be on um, if you worked in Blockbuster it would be the film that everyone always wanted to rent for whatever reason definitely go check it out it's just got a new re-release on Blu-ray so um, it's very easy to get a hold of uh, but if uh, you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to the show uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out our blog, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com. And check out our full archive episodes, including all our previous episodes. And also our Friday Film Club, where every Friday myself and Kim both pick a film to recommend to yourselves. Sometimes it's a theme, sometimes it's not. Either way, there's a chance for us to explore more of the movies that we like. But, uh, Kim, what's next upon our jaunt through the creature feature genre? Yes, we are moving to 1984 and watching Wild Beasts. Yep, uh, the Italians give their take on the creature feature genre as PCP gets into the water supply at the local zoo, sending all the animals mad in a creature feature that boasts not one, but many. In fact, a whole zoo of wild beasts going on the rampage um, in a film which I'm also really excited to to uh, show you, Kim. So that's coming up on our next episode. But uh, until then, thank you as always for listening. Thank to my co-host, Kim. And we'll be back next time to talk about Wild Beasts. But until then, good night. <laughs>